Composer Quest. I'm Charlie McCarran, a composer in Minneapolis, and I started this podcast to pick the brains of songwriters and composers. You can find other episodes and more information about these artists at ComposerQuest.com. This episode, I talk with my friend Luke Friedrich. Luke's a drummer by nature, but he's more recently started fronting the band Squares as a singer and guitarist. definitely a a difference when you're up front you really are what everybody relates to that band but you always hear musicians saying that kind of stuff you know i'm out there every night pouring my heart and soul out and you know it's true like you really are saying really personal things and especially then to have someone go and critique that and say they don't like it or that it's not good is you know it's, it's a really hard thing to handle luke also weighs in on the music business i'm learning more and more how much of a game it really is and that's not a negative thing it's it's just like anything if you want to get ahead in any industry You have to know what you want to do, know what you are, know your product. Luke also talks about the importance of focused touring rather than playing as many shows as you can. It's just better to play four really good shows out of town than 15 really bad ones. The extent of my touring experience, like the longest was like a two and a half, three week long tour, playing in the deep south to five or six people and getting you ain't from around here. One person actually said, you you boys better leave before something bad happens. And we're like, all right, out of here. I'm here with Luke, a longtime friend of mine, back from elementary school, actually. Mm -hmm. And he has been making a ton of music over the years in lots of bands. I don't know. Could you even count how many you've been in? Oh, sure. Uh, totals, maybe, including current side projects, uh, about nine or ten. All these side projects you've been working on, are you playing drums in most of them? or? Yeah, typically drums in most of them. What made you want to pick up the drums initially? Um, I guess I started, I started doing Civil War reenacting when I was in seventh grade, and I was too young to carry a musket. So I started playing the fife. I had this uh, manual from 1862, which taught you how to play the drum and the fife. And I've always just been banging on things, and it's always been my inclination. Drummers were always my favorite person of any band since I was a kid. In your band, Crimes, Mm -hmm. um, you're the drummer in that. Yep. When I've seen you guys play, I just think it's awesome how your drumming can be so dynamic um, from like the most delicate too huge yeah that was the name of the game from the beginning i mean andrew he said i'm gonna start this new band and i want you to be in it and he said okay the drumming is really simple like you have to pretend that you're basically on really hard drugs or like heroin or something i was like okay okay, i've never never done that but i'll you know i've seen movies And they are really simple parts, and he told me that he was afraid that I was going to get bored and, and that I wouldn't be satisfied with it. And the, the band that I came from before that um, was called The Guy Storm, and that was really intense drumming, more than I had ever done before. And so then going from that directly into this, where it was really simple and stripped down, and my kit was very minimal in this band, in Crimes, it was a challenge at first, but it's made me grow in all other facets of music that I'm really enjoying. You know, really finding a simplicity and then every little tap that I do in that band is thought out and you know exactly where on the drum or the cymbal I'm going to hit it I know exactly what I want to do 
I try to make it very emotional. I mean, it's the greatest high on earth for me, and it's you know what I love more than anything is being in that space and you know try to physically meditate and channel all of my energy to the tip of my hand, coming from the core of my body into that symbol hit or whatever it is, and just moving and dancing around, and um, and it's it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. And it's something that's been growing a lot lately. And people come up and be like, wow, I've never seen a drummer play that way before. We opened for um, Trampled by Turtles on their pre-release show at the 7th Street Entry. And yeah, their, their song guy was like, dude, I've never, I've never seen that. That's awesome. I was like, oh, cool. I had no idea what you're talking about, but I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. When you're in these other bands playing drums for them, how much freedom do you have coming up with parts? It's totally different in each one. Um, Crimes will be Andrew will come with the song that he has written and I literally I sit there and I wait for him to tell me what kind of rhythm he wants and then I'll move with it and then he'll say no no make it more simple than that and I'll go and then I'll be like okay cool and then it works on and then in Strange which is just a two piece with Adam and I him and I write the songs together, you know, he'll have a part, he'll have ideas for drums, I'll have ideas for guitar parts, and that's the band where I really get to go crazy and really push my own envelope and be at the edge of total physical exhaustion by the end of every set. It can be a little stressful sometimes when someone tells you, like, play this exact beat, and they, you know, they mouth it, or they have you listen to it, and then I immediately, my brain just is like, oh, you can't do that, that's not going to work, and then I look like a moron trying to play this, you know, this beat, but... um, I think I've done that before. Yeah. to drummers mouthing a beat mm-hmm. and i know that really annoys especially my friend rob yeah oh but rob, rob carmichael, rob carmichael. From, from our elementary school mm-hmm. played with him for many years but yeah but i mean it's also very helpful like in this situation if that's what needs to be done then, then you know that's fine it's just sometimes my brain plays tricks on me it's like oh you're i'm gonna make you look stupid in front of these people like you don't know what you're doing <laughs> but most of the time it's fine i guess i'm curious how does your experience compare when you're more in the background? How does that compare to being up front in your band's squares, mm-hmm. um, singing and playing guitar? It's definitely different, but my headspace is the same in, in all of them, really. It's easier being the drummer in the sense that, you know, all eyes aren't on me, and so I can kind of freak out in the back by myself and, you know, go crazy. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm not a small person, so people see me anyways, but... There's definitely a difference when you're up front. You really are what everybody relates to that band. You know, you're the first thing they see and they're what they're looking at most of the time. Whenever I'm playing, I'm, I'm not even there. Like, I'm totally gone. I rarely even remember what happens during a show, so it's not much of an issue while we're actually playing. It's usually the anxiety beforehand, and then after, I'm like, oh, God, what, have I, what did I do that I didn't know I did? But, <laughs> so That's interesting to me, because I think of your vocals as super expressive, and, yeah. and I'm guessing you are actually there in the moment, but you yeah. just... Yeah, I'm totally inside. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm physically there trying not to forget words, because that happens. Um, but... My eyes are always closed, and even when I am looking, I'm not looking at people, you know. I might see them, but I'm not really there, because I'm so, like, high on whatever is going on at that moment, I guess is the only way I could describe it. But yeah, I'm very physically and emotionally expressive, and that kind of takes over the physically being like, oh, that person's on their phone texting right now, that's bothering me. Though that might be a fleeting thought, it's never never that much of a focus. Mm -hmm. What do you draw inspiration from when you're writing songs? Ooh, um... A lot of times, 
I like to take experiences and pretend like pretend that I'm somebody else and uh, pretend that I'm having some experience that I've never had, which is really exciting because then you don't have to be super factual about anything. Um, like one song that I that I wrote that's on our first EP is called "Damn It." And I wanted to write this song that was about dealing with, like, I, I pretended that I, <clears throat> excuse me, had just um, killed somebody. And I had ran away, and I'm sitting in this cabin in the woods, and I'm just waiting for them to get me. And just dealing with the guilt of actually killing someone, and just like the kind of going insane inside your own head, you know, from that. I've obviously never killed anybody, but I wanted to see what that would be like. So I got to kind of experience that. studied music production Mm -hmm. and yeah i remember you recording us and you knew way more than we did about pro tools and everything yeah um and i found it interesting when i visited your house and you were playing some of your new tracks Mm -hmm. through squares and you're using garage (laughs) band yeah yeah my pro tools interface broke at some point and I really, when, after I went to school there, I worked with uh, film post-production, which is what I focused on there. And recording bands and the film post-production stuff, it just wasn't my thing. I wasn't good at it. And I just didn't enjoy it. I, would, I wanted to play music instead. And I have a you know, pretty good base of knowledge of, how to, of, of you mean, what's going on with recording. But um, so I gave it all up, basically. And then started playing music. And I was like, oh, I should probably record this. And so I opened up my Mac and started playing with GarageBand, which is just a really dumbed down free version of Pro Tools that sucks. But I mean, what what my philosophy with recording is that um, regardless of what uh, gear you're using to record, you know, such as your I mean, microphones, you don't need a fancy, you know, SSL console or anything like that. Like as long as you have a good sounding instrument that's making a good sound in a good sounding environment, like that's the majority of it, you know. So that's what we spent a lot of time doing was just, you know, getting a good sound. Any advice regarding the music business and how you get to play at first Ave? Um, It is all a game and you have to know certain people and you have to know who's giving who money and who to ask nicely to help them give that other person more money. I mean, it's mostly just getting out and getting people to know who you are and building up a network and then it's all just who you know and who's talking about you and who was there at the right time. But it is, I'm learning more and more how much of a game it really is. And that's not a negative thing. It's, it's just like anything. If you want to get ahead in any industry, you have to learn that game and you have to play it and you do your market research and do know what you want to do, know what you are, know your product. And a lot of people think that's a negative thing to, or that it sterilizes it. But I mean, if you just want to write songs and that's all you care about, then, you know, you're going to be playing coffee shops and dive bars on Tuesday nights for the rest of your life. And that's part of me is satisfied with that. But I also want to pay my rent doing this and so I can quit my job. Yeah. yeah. How do you go about making money as a performer? Well, um, I, I talked to Alan Sparhawk about this. He's the singer in the band Low. 
and Retribution Gospel Choir and Murder of Crows. And he's, you know, been a successful musician for a long time. And I asked him, how do you make it? Like, how do you do it? And he said, you got to get out and you got to tour and you got to get your record in front of people. You can sit in your hometown and release record after record, but, you know, you're never going to do anything more than making 150 bucks a night, twice a month. So touring and... Um, well, accepting the fact that you're going to be broke for a very, very long time. You know, even bands that are famous, or that, you know, I'll think of as famous, that come through and they'll sell out First Avenue, they still go home and they have at least part-time jobs doing whatever, because you just don't make a lot of money anymore. You know, the old story where you get signed and overnight, and you know, they get your $3 million advance, and you're selling out arenas, like, that just doesn't happen anymore. It takes a lot longer, and... Most people who are becoming successful musicians now are easily in their 30s for the most part, whereas, you know, you were 17 and you were dead by 27 back in the, you know, 70s, 80s and early 90s, I guess. But uh, getting on a, on a label, getting getting your record onto distribution and things like that, that's how people are going to know who you are and getting the right people to talk about it. I mean, that's what happened with, like, you know, Justin Vernon and Bonnie Vare, you know, right person, the right scenario happened and now he's huge. So, mm-hmm. so what does the future hold for you? Well, what I've been working myself and my little team of people, and that includes Brian of Squares and Adam, we're the most at it, tirelessly working towards learning this, this so-called game and moving forward. We've been working with a couple of people who help us with um, booking things and exposing us. And our plan is to, once a month or once every two months, to start playing out-of-town shows, you know, going to St. Cloud, going to Mankato or um, Madison, Milwaukee, Chicago, Des Moines, Iowa City, things like that, and then gradually um, building a base in those places so then you can go further and go for a week, you know, and then go out to either coast or, or like going to South by Southwest, even if you're not playing a showcase, just to go there and rub elbows with everybody who's down there. That seems like a nice way it. to dip your toes in oh, in yeah. different places yeah. rather than go all out. Yeah, tour I, I've bus, done that. Sort of. well, the tour bus, geez, yeah. I would love to have a tour bus someday. I think the figure I heard from somebody who was on one was like, it's $1,000 a day or something for them. In which, I mean, if you're making $15,000 a night, that's okay. But uh, but it's more of a tour van. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, the, yeah. I've, the, the extent of my touring experience, like the longest was like a two and a half, three week long tour, playing in the deep south to five or six people and getting, you know, you ain't from around here. One person actually said, you you boys better leave before something bad happens. And we're like, all right, out of here. Um, so yeah. That that's it's just better to play four really good shows out of town than fifteen really bad ones. I mean, I mean, you'd think that would make sense, but you got to get it out of your system, I guess. So that's that's the goal. And you know, we're all at that age where we're going to start potentially be getting into more serious relationships and things like that. And you know, family stuff happens, life stuff happens. We all have jobs, so it's tough to be like, "Hey, I'm going on tour for a month. See you later." So these little weekend tour jaunts seem to be the, the right way to go. Yeah. There's not enough time in the day, it seems like. Yeah, there's just literally like not this. enough. Like, I'll I'll have, you know, like, right after this, I'm going to a, another rehearsal and then a meeting after that. And, you know, every day is just, you know, at the end of a rehearsal, I'm like, all right, I love you guys. See you. I got to go to the next one. It used to be, you know, band practice happened once a week or twice a week. And it was uh, a seven-hour adventure. You, you know, get together, you play, and then you'd hang out and get drunk and hang out and talk or do whatever and go for walks or something go for walks um yeah, right <laughs> band-aid <laughs> yeah band-aid uh been on many of those but uh <laughs> so
So, Luke, you have a new album coming out with mm-hmm. Squares. Uh, what is that album? Uh, it's called Three Theories. I'm really fascinated by psychology and things like that. So, um, you know, Freud, reading some Freud books were the first things that really got me into psychoanalysis. That's kind of how the record got named Three Theories. There's a song on this record called Impulse, and it's kind of outlying Freud's philosophies. He says that our ego, superego, and the, and the id, he related them to the entrance to a house, the entrance hall, um, the drawing room, and then the watchmen. You know how things come in, and then in the drawing room is where they wait, and we kind of make our associations with them. And then the watchman is dictating who can leave at a certain time and what thoughts can come in and when they leave and who stays around and who does what and who goes on to another filter. I literally just sat there and went through all my books and my notes and just kind of went through them and loosely trying to relate them all within a song. It was was a fun thing to do. The chorus is... um, impulses suppressed will explode and you can't suggest you can suppress them all in my own life it's you know relatable like you have to come to terms with things and deal with them because if you suppress them they're going to come through no matter what you do and it's going to be negative it's better to have control over it like juxtapositioning um happy sounding stuff with terrible lyrics you know like we i have one song adam and i have been working on about ed gein um and listing all of the like the you know the cereal bowls made out of human skulls and um the belt made of you know human flesh and things like that but it's this really pretty song in a major key and you're just like oh this is so happy but like whoa what did he just say (laughs) i get a kick out of that kind of stuff so Am I remembering this right, that you worked in a morgue or something like that? No, I wanted to be a mortician, um, but I never I never worked in a morgue. I really wish... I'm going to change my answer. Yes, I, I worked in a morgue. No, I wanted to, though, but I never did. I've always had a fascination with that kind of stuff, but uh, bleeding people is the closest I've gotten so far. But, working at the Red Cross? Yeah, um, as a phlebotomist, drawing blood out of the willing... And trying to keep them from their heads bouncing off the floor, which I'm not always successful at, but I can only do so much for you. So if you're going to donate blood, eat and drink water. It's my <laughs> This has become PSA. a public <laughs> service <laughs> announcement. Donate blood. <laughs> Maybe there's a track that we could listen to. Yeah, um, we could do uh, vasovagal part two, maybe. Vasovago is a term, it's relatable to your flight or fight response. If you're bleeding, basically, that's how I learned it from my job. If you're bleeding and you're, you're worried about it, or your body catches wind of it, it's going to slow your heart rate down in an attempt to keep you from bleeding to death, and subsequently you may get dizzy or pass out vasovagal symptoms. It's, it's supposed to be about, basically, a girl who um, falls into low company and basically just gets used by this guy who ends up getting her pregnant, and then she... Um, he basically, you know, rapes her and beats her, and then uh, she goes to get an abortion at a clinic and gets some guff going in the door. So it's it's not very, you know, happy <laughs> song lyrically, but uh, I've known people in that situation and what they feel like, and so I wanted to make something that kind of went along with that. Um, what are you going to do when you're faced in a situation when you really have to, you know, run away, or you're going to face it and fight it? And sometimes it's it's disturbing and disgusting to face those things. <laughs> Thank you. 
another song that's not going to be on the record, but it's going to be released called Stress Effects. Like I had an uncle um, who committed suicide and like I had a few other people that I knew within a few months all committed suicide and, you know, you know, depression and things like that were things that I've struggled with my whole life. So that song was kind of my way of dealing with all of those intense things, you know, like, you know, talking myself out of suicide, basically. How do you tell that story in a song? In that song, um, it was pretty literal. I mean, the the lyrics kind of explain it. I want to know where we go when the music ends. Chorus, it kind of resolves on it. It's suffer while you can. For me, that meant you know enjoy being alive because you know it might be the only chance you get. And even though a lot of it is you know painful or suffering, like at least at least you can do that. You know, so yeah. Well, yeah, that's pretty, pretty personal. Yeah, totally. And so, I mean, that, that's a huge part. But you always hear musicians saying that kind of stuff. You know, I'm out there every night pouring my heart and soul out. And, you know, it's true. Like, you really are saying really personal things. And, you know, and especially then to have someone go and critique that and say they don't like it or that it's not good is, you know, it's, it's a really hard thing to handle. I think there was, like, this 16-year-old girl who reviewed, like, one of our live shows, and she said something. She, for the most part, liked it, but said something that was negative, and I was just, like, I just clung to it. I was like, no, what do you mean? And, you know, that's why I, and then I would, so I went and researched a lot of, you know, artists that I like and how they deal with those types of things. And, like, just, I just, a lot of them would say, you know, I don't even read, don't read reviews, because, yeah, it might be, it might be good, and you don't need to hear that because you know it's good. But if someone says something negative or attacks you, like, you don't want that you're that's just gonna eat you up so that's a tough thing so like yeah, yeah it's it's it is a lot of really personal stuff but. yeah well it seems like we cling to negative one negative comment over a hundred positive oh, yeah. comments. absolutely yeah that's that's a tried and true fact why is that freud expert tell yeah. us <laughs> yeah uh, we, we love to suffer but yeah that's that's part of the deal. If, I mean, you, you can tell when you're listening to someone play, or if you're listening to a record or whatever, you can tell when someone's you know just making it up, or if they're not genuine. You know, it does at least at least I can, and it's 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 no good if it doesn't feel real. Do you have any other tips for songwriters out there? No. no. <laughs> um, find find a method. Uh, find what works. Don't listen to what anybody says unless it's positive. Everybody has their own way of doing it, and figuring it out is tough but just go with what works. Mm-hmm. Are you still doing your Civil War reenactment? Yeah. Um, it's the 150th anniversary years right now, so we we, we were in um, Tennessee back in March for the Battle of Shiloh, the 150th anniversary of the Battle of Shiloh, and then in September we went and did um, Antietam, which is in Maryland, and uh, this upcoming year we're going to Gettysburg and then Chickamauga, Georgia. Um, so yeah, it's awesome. A little time travel. A little miserable time travel, but it's it's great. Yeah, people always have a lot of questions about it, and you know, it's like, well, how much time do you have? I mean, I could talk about this for about six and a half days, I think. So there's <laughs> there's a lot involved. <laughs> have you been an extra in some movies too? The guys from our unit have definitely been in you know films like Glory and Gettysburg and um, the Abomination that was the film Gods and Generals, um, and you know other things like uh, Dances with Wolves, whatever. But uh, I've never been personally involved, um, mm. but I'd like to be. Yeah. So any you talent acting scouts out there? Anyways, he's but, got a good beard. Yeah, usually. Um, it's all I wanted when I was a kid, man. Be tall and have a beard. 
So everything's and icing. Now that, on, everything's now icing. that your goals in life have been reached, <laughs> yep, everything else is icing on the cake. I can relax and just <laughs> leisurely go about my activities. <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Luke. Cool. Yeah, it's thanks been great for talking me, to man. you again. Yeah. Well, that wraps up my talk with Luke Friedrich. As he described it, his bands are completely ungoogleable. So you can go to facebook.com slash squaresmn or facebook.com slash crimesmn to hear more of his music. I'll leave you with a new song Luke played for me live. And it's actually so new, it doesn't have a title. So thanks for listening and see you on the next Composer Quest. Genuflect for what the mirror images display Though diseased intentions reflect your face in blood Stains the silhouette of silk like smoke Caress the flesh of exit wounds like tiny dancers Pure wet their climax over eyes what a beautiful mess we have made Oh, what a beautiful mess we have made Oh, what a beautiful mess we have What a mess we have What a mess we have made Screaming underwater won't save you from drowning. Oh, what a beautiful mess we have made. Oh, what a beautiful mess we have made. Oh, what a beautiful mess we have. What a mess we have. What a mess we have made. Going the parlor tricks We'll peel back every layer This will be a deeper hurt I can see, I can see, I can see that you're scared
painful mess we have made Oh, what a beautiful mess we have What a mess we have What a mess we have What a mess we have made